Well, w- welcome everybody. Um, as you can see, we've released a new album, uh, Ephesians, Autumn 2018. Um, and we heard the last talk last week from Jim, who introduced the first 14 verses. And Jim, I have to say, you did a remarkably good effort because most churches will spend about three weeks doing the first 14 verses. Uh, but we are going to be looking today. So if you've got a Bible, look and look at one. It'll probably be helpful to follow along. Uh, but we're going to be looking at Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23, which Mark just read us. But before we get into that, I want to take you back to August 1980. Now, children, just to say, you're going to have a worksheet here to follow as you go through. Now, you'll spot on the worksheet uh, that there are certain pictures and certain letters in a square. And your job is to write down the letter in the square to the left of the picture. So you need to find the picture of that little boy and you need to put, and I'll give you it away for the first one, the letter T. Okay? And your object is to try and collect all the letters as we go through the talk and then make some words up at the end. Okay. But anyway, for the benefit of everybody else, it's August 1980, Warwick Park. Um, and that, that was me and my brother. Now, the reason I put that photo up is because... Um, I was actually age four in that photo. I couldn't find a picture of me age three. We didn't have many photos in the 1970s. Um, But um, about a year before that, I'd been on holiday with my parents in North Wales, at Barmouth, in fact. And I remember sitting by a stream with my dad. And I said to my dad, Dad, who made that stream? Who made it? And my father said, God made it. I was like, who's God? And my dad said, God's the person who made everything. And my three-year-old mind really couldn't comprehend this at all. But the thing was, at the age of three, I knew who God was. And we fa- Oh, sorry, gone too far. We fast-forward a few years. This is me. I'm embarrassing myself today. There's one of you coming later, Anna, don't worry. Um, this is me, age 11. Now, this is my first year at secondary school. And this, again, was quite significant because two months before this photo was taken, um, I was in a church service... And I heard the gospel being preached. And I realised for the first time that I needed to make a decision in my life, whether to follow Jesus Christ or to, or to reject him. And I decided, no, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I knew at that point that I accepted the Holy Spirit and I was a believer. So I knew God, but I, I knew him probably better than I did at the age of three when I just knew about him. Now, why do I... Ask that question. Well, in today's passage, there are two key questions that it it poses. The first question is, what are the true marks of being a believer? What, 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 What does Paul identify in here as being the true marks of being a believer? And secondly, okay, once you are a believer, how can I grow and develop in my faith? Because the title of today's talk is really knowing God. Now, these days, um, you get these wonderful cartoon strips that are produced of each book of the Bible. Uh, and this, is, this one, Ephesians, is a really, really sort of helpful summary. And, and for those of you, um, some of you in home groups, uh, we actually studied Acts 19. And this was the story of how the Ephesian church started. Now, there's somebody called the Apostle Paul, um, who uh, was a follower of Jesus. He was converted from being a Jew. And he journeyed to Ephesus, 
which is in modern-day Turkey. And it's a really busy, bustling port. And he arrived in the city of Ephesus, and he started a new church. And from that new church, which is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, lots of other churches came about. And some years later, Paul is in a really bad situation, because Paul is in prison. And he decides to write a letter back to these churches in this area to encourage them. And we get to today's passage. And he starts off by saying, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think, hang on a moment, Paul, for what reason? What reason are you talking about here? Well, to answer that, we need to go back to last week. Now, for those of you who were here last week, you will remember uh, that Jim took us through the first 14 verses. And what Jim drew to our attention was the fact that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So Paul is giving thanks. He's saying, for this reason, for the reason, the fact you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, I I give thanks for you. And there are three things. There is like a triple assurance that we're given. In the past, we know that before the beginning of time, we were chosen to be God's children. In the present, do you remember uh, last, last week, Jim was talking about the fact that we are adopted as sons and daughters. So it doesn't matter. We may, have, may or may not have earthly parents, but actually we've also got a heavenly father as well. We're adopted as his sons and daughters. And then this glorious future, that in the future we are going to be united to Christ. And that is when he says, for this reason, for this reason, he gives thanks for the Ephesians. But what does he give thanks for? Well, these two things. Firstly, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, your love for all God's people. Now, you might think, why is that significant? Of all the things, of all the things, why has he chosen those two things? Now, children, a question for you. Can you see this picture up here? Has anyone any idea at all, and only the children are allowed to answer this, what job this person does? Alexander. Um, head teacher. Head teacher, no. Lydia? Adopting. A what, sorry? A, a, doc, a doctor? Adopting. Adopting. A do- a no, no, no. Uh, Mark? A judge. A judge, close, close. A lawyer. A lawyer, brilliant. A lawyer, wonderful. That's exactly the answer I wanted. Now, I'm a lawyer. I don't wear one of those silly wigs, unfortunately. In fact, if you saw a picture of me, and I didn't think about it, I just wear a boring suit. I could work for Jaguar Land Rover, quite frankly. It wouldn't make any difference. But this is a special type of... This is a special type of... Well, everybody else needs to work for Jaguar Land Rover. Um, this is a special type of lawyer, because this type of lawyer is a barrister, and a barrister is somebody who is important, who stands up in court. Now... The reason, what, why do I bring up a picture of a lawyer? Well, this is important because we go back to Matthew 22 and we have an expert in the law. So a lawyer of his day goes up and asks Jesus a question. And he tests him with this question. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is... Love your neighbour as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In a sense, Jesus boils down all the law to these two things. So we come back to today's passage. And what is Paul giving thanks for? He's giving thanks for your faith in the Lord Jesus. In other words, your faith in God and your love for all of God's people. So loving your neighbour. Paul is giving thanks for the fact that the Ephesians are living out 
the commands of Jesus. Now, why is this important? What, why, why, why is this is, 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 is so important to the early church? Well, earlier this year in home groups, we looked at Acts 11, 26 in, in, as, as part of the whole story of the early church. And what was really interesting was in Acts, you see these early churches. Um, I love this passage where it talks about the first Christians. Um, it, was a, it was a church in Antioch and they were a small church and it was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And the, and the people in the city used to almost mock the, young, the, the Christians by actually calling them Christians because they love Jesus so much. You must be Christians. But the thing was, and what they recognised was the fact they loved one another. Now this is a photo from last year um, when we, we had a, before we'd even met together properly as a group for the first time, we had a, had a picnic in the park. This was, this was, this is Kenilworth Community Church. This is the community here. And actually, we've got to think, it's our love for one another that is the most attractive thing, actually, to the world around us. See, how we, we, have, we have outsiders coming, and we really dearly hope that people who don't know Jesus Christ will come in this room today. You, you may be here and, and, and don't know Jesus Christ, but well, the one thing I really hope is that they will see the love and the care for one another. Um, about 20 years ago, I lived in a shared house in, in Birmingham. Um, it was a house that students had lived in, and then postgraduate students, and then sort of young professionals over the years. And, and, and the common thread was that most of the people living in the house over the years were Christian. But there was one guy who, who lived there for many years called Steve, and Steve wasn't a Christian. And, you know, he'd had many, many interesting debates with us over the years, but he wasn't a Christian. And I said to him once, I said, Steve, what, what is it? What, why do you keep putting up with living with Christians all these years? What is it about that? And he said, oh, no, I said, I really enjoy it. I said, well, what, what do you enjoy? He said, no, he said, genuinely. He said, you really care for each other. There's a real love I can sense between you because you share that faith. And he said, for me, if I was ever to become a Christian, and he was very much hedging his bets, he said, that for me is the single most attractive thing about Christianity, is the love and the care that you have for one another. And that is the thing that will shine out uh, fr- from us. Um, there's a friend of mine who's a Catholic priest, and his wife was seriously ill earlier this year. And he said, you know what really spoke to me above anything else of all the things that were done for us? He said, it was the local Baptist church organised a meal rotor for us, and they brought us meals. He said, and my own congregation didn't do it. But the local Baptist church did. And he said that it was that care that really, really spoke to me. And what was really encouraging, we put these rotors out and they're not all been filled. But the one that has been filled is the meal rotor for the Juliana. So that's wonderful. So well done, everyone, um, showing that kind of care. So the true marks of being a Christian are faith in God, but also love for others. How we care and love for others. So we move on to the rest of the passage. Now, discoveries. Every so often in, in, in the press, you see a, uh, a, a story about how someone has discovered something. Now, children, can you see those rather wonderful paintings there? Do you like them? Do you think they're nice paintings? Lydia, do you like them? No, not, not convinced? No? So if I was to tell you, um, if I was to say to you, Lydia, I'm going to buy those for fifteen to £20,000, would you say that's a good deal? No. No. I didn't ask you, Mark. You don't think that's a good deal? No. No, okay. 
If I told you they were actually worth 200 million and you could buy them for 15 to 20,000 pounds, do you think that's a good deal? Yes. She's got it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually, there was a Dutch... You're half Dutch, aren't you? Yeah, there was a Dutch... There was a Dutch art dealer who spotted these in an auction and he bought them for about £20,000. And uh, he knew that they were, in fact, by the famous Dutch artist Rembrandt. So, yeah. So, uh, and he, and he, he was able to sell them for a lot more money than what he paid for them. Uh, there's another story over here as well. Do any of you remember the Ang- Anglo-Saxon gold hoard that was found in a field in Staffordshire somewhere? Uh, well, somebody actually thought, I-, I reckon there's some more here. So they went off with their metal detectors and they dug out the earliest ever Iron Age gold. We love these stories about discoveries where something that's not worth very much, you actually find is very valuable indeed. And this is sort of the theme, if you like, of the rest of today's passage. We're actually... The Ephesian Christians have become believers. You know, the, 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 there's no, no doubt about it. They've got f- faith in God. They love one another. But Paul's prayer here is that actually they may grow more deeply in, in love with, with God, that they may know him better and they may know the hope to which they're being called. Now, I love the English language. I think it's a wonderful language. Um, you know, if, 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 if it's not your native language, you know, I, I feel sorry for you in many ways. But, but... There are one or two words that don't work particularly well in English. And sadly, one of them is the verb to know. Because we only have one word, whereas other languages have more than one word for to know. And as some of you know, I've been learning Spanish for the last year or so. uh, And I never pass up the opportunity to teach a bit of Spanish on a Sunday afternoon. So um, we have two words in Spanish here. Uh, The word saber. Now, saber means actually to know or to taste or to be aware of. So it's like that three-year-old me being aware of God, just knowing about something. You know, I'm aware of certain things, but don't really know them very deeply. But the Spanish also have a word to know, connoisseur, to meet, to know, to meet, which really means to really know, if you like, to be a connoisseur, to really know. Now, you see, I know about cars. I, I know you can get in them and drive them. But Peter Bingham really knows about cars. He really under, un, understands about them. Um, you see, I, I know a little bit of Greek. Christopher Samuel here, though, he knows a lot of Greek. Um, and, and, and we go around. And, and all of us are, are experts in, in different ways. I mean, I know how to make a cake, but not as well as Anna knows how to make a cake, uh, for anyone who, who, who's done it. So, so there is a difference here. There's to know, saber, but conoce, to really know. And that is what Paul is talking about here. Because he is asking that God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So what he's asking for here is that, in a sense, they would have supernatural power through the Holy Spirit, more than their own ability, but actually a real depth opened up through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. I think so often in our culture, and I talk about in our Christian culture as well, um, we can get very focused on head knowledge and, and we think, you know, as long as we know it all up here, it's all fine. But actually what Paul is praying for here is that they'd have a depth of almost spiritual knowledge in their knowledge of God. Because actually it's a really good thing for us to pray for here. Um, so often our prayers are characterised by us praying for ourselves and for other people and we tend to pray for physical things. So, you know, 
um, pray that such and such will get better. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. And that's actually a really valid thing that we can do. But how often do we actually pray for ourselves and also pray for others that they would grow spiritually? And do we give thanks for the time when we actually see spiritual growth in people, the maturing and going on beyond being babies as, as Christians, but actually really growing in their depth of faith? I, I think there's something that we should really look to try and pray for others, particularly congregations elsewhere. Now, I told you I'd embarrass you, Anna, here. Um, so this, this is a picture from our wedding day in, in July 2002. Um, well, when we got married, um, Anna and I had known each other for a couple of years, um, but, and I, I thought I knew her reasonably well. I didn't. <laughs> She's much better than that. Um, and we've been married 16 years now, and that, that's the interesting thing about a marriage, is that, um, in a sense, you're forced to spend time together. So you have to get to know each other really well, on a, on a really in-depth de- in way. And, it, and it's not sort of head knowledge about the other person. It's really knowing the depth of relationship with that person over the time that you have. Because what is Paul's prayer here? That not only that we'll be given the spirit of wisdom, but also that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened. What does he mean by that? I mean, I'm no surgeon, but I'm pretty sure that a heart doesn't have eyes. We've got a surgeon over there. Hearts don't have eyes, do they? No. No. So what, what, is, what is Paul talking about here? What is he talking about? Well, I think he might be slightly alluding to um, some words in Isaiah that Jesus actually picks up in Matthew 13. When he talks about the prophecy of Isaiah, and he talks about the natural state of human beings, who will be ever hearing but never understanding, who will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this, people's heart has become calloused. Now, calloused is a word that means sort of clammed up, that sort of almost frozen over. That's the, that's the normal state of people. And also that they hardly hear with their ears and that they have closed their eyes. It's like people who don't know God are blind. They're completely blind. And that's the normal state of human beings. And, he go, and Jesus goes on to talk about how blessed are your eyes because you see and your ears because you hear. He's saying to the true believers that actually you can see, whereas everybody else is blind. And I think when Paul writes this, that he's got that in mind. So that if you like, our heart can actually see, our heart can understand that depth and that wonderful thing. And what is he praying for? In order that you may know the hope to which you've called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power. Knowing the hope to which he's called you. Do you know what he's talked about when the riches of the glorious inheritance... We're talking about the inheritance of none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the inheritance that we're talking about here. Because instead of stumbling into destruction, because the normal state of human beings is to be cut off completely from God, have their hearts calloused, their eyes blinded. Now actually, our eyes, if we accept this wonderful truth, are opened. And our hearts are sort of soft again, are free And actually, so rather than just escaping from the flames, we've actually got this glorious opportunity of sharing in Jesus' inheritance in power. And and, and Paul goes on to say that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So we're talking about the most amazing use of God's power in history. When God himself raised his own son back from life. 
That is the power he is praying for the Ephesians and by, by implication for us. That we put far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age and in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed Jesus Christ to be head over everything. Head over everything. For what? For the church. For us. His body. That's what Paul's prayer is, is that that we would know and understand that we have got the most glorious inheritance in the world. And so often we just just accept that we're just going to carry on being very baby-like as as Christians, when actually if if, if we just stepped out and and took on, on board this wonderful promise and this understanding, it would be incredible. When we talk about knowledge... Does this often sort of conjure up this to you? It certainly does to me. Um, I I rather tragically decided when I was only 14 that I wanted to be a lawyer. And my father said to me, he said, well, if you want to be a lawyer, you're going to have to get really good GCSE results. So I went off and I studied very, very hard, all these books, and I got good GCSE results. And then I said, well, actually, if you you know, you really just go to the best university. So I worked very hard for my A-levels and got into a decent university, which is where you know, where very clever people went, like Mark and Debbie, um, and, and, and others, that's where I met them. Um, and, and when I was at university, I thought, well, I, I have to study really, really hard and, uh, and, and, and get a decent job as a lawyer. And, and I managed to get a good job as a lawyer in Birmingham. But they said to me, in order to get this job, you're going to have to get a 2-1, which children it means like a B grade, if you like, in the sort of thing. Um, and, and so I'd spent most of my second year at university playing the guitar, uh, and I was on for a 2-2, so I wasn't going to do it. And I managed to work hard on my last year and got a 2-1. And then you, you get into your job, and then, and then it's all about, oh, no, you know, the rest of your career now is learning more and more and becoming an expert in your particular area of law. So for me, knowledge, head knowledge, has been the, the thing throughout my entire career. But is that, is that really what we're talking about here? Is it what we're talking about here? Because one thing I've learnt in life, it's an old phrase, I'll pardon for it, it's not what you know, actually, it's who you know. It's actually about relationship. Now, th- now this, this, this phrase is trotted out rather glibly in terms of as you progress in your career, you realise that actually sometimes the cleverest people, the people who know the most, aren't actually always the most successful. Because actually life is about human relationships and actually getting on with people. But actually on a deeper level as well, the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about here is not head knowledge. No, it's a relational knowledge. A relational knowledge of God. And the way that we can do that is by getting to know him better, is by spending more time with him. So think of that image of the marriage. Spend, the, the, the best way to, to improve your marriage is to spend time with your husband or wife. Your best time to boost a friendship is to spend time with that person. I mean, children, think of your best friend. Why are they your best friend? Often they're your best friend because you've spent the most time with them, because you like to spend time with them. And that's the kind of knowledge that we're talking about so praying to God reading his word spending time with other Christians will all help us if you like grow in our own relationship with God and that's the knowledge that Paul is talking about now some of you will have heard of Ricky Gervais Ricky Gervais is a very famous well reasonably famous comedian but he's also quite famous for being an atheist now does anyone know what an atheist is children Mark that's exactly right. Thank you. So somebody who doesn't believe in any God 
at all. Now, Ricky Gervais was on a chat show in the US uh, last year, uh, and he was speaking to Stephen Colbert, who's, Stephen Colbert's quite a well-known Catholic, and he said to Stephen Colbert, you don't believe in 2,999 gods. You only believe in one god. I don't believe in just one more. I thought, well, you can't really fault that logic. You know, he, he just doesn't happen to believe in just the one god that Stephen Colbert believes in. Yet actually the truth is, Ricky, if you don't worship God, you will worship something else. Because the natural human state is actually to worship. We are created to worship. And if it's not God that you worship, it will be probably status. It might be relationships with other human beings. It might be power. It might be reputation. It doesn't matter. We are all prone to worshipping gods. And actually, as Christians, we also are in danger of worshipping other things. That's why in the Bible so much it talks about uh, this issue of putting God first because everybody out there worships a god in some way but you see if we hold on to this promise if we decide no i actually go i'm going to follow jesus christ i'm going to have a relationship with him we have this opportunity to have a deep relationship with the god of the universe through his son jesus empowered by his holy spirit that is just the most amazing privilege in the world not only are we escaping destruction, but we're given a relationship with the, with the author of the universe. So I asked two questions at the start. The first one was, what are the true marks of being a believer? And secondly, how can I grow and develop as a believer? Well, the answers to these questions are, are, are here. So the true marks are actually just, it's very, very simple. We overcomplicate Christianity sometimes. But the truth is, it's faith in God. And then love for others. Those are the true marks of somebody who is a believer. But secondly, and this is Paul's prayer, is that we wouldn't just stop there. That actually we would move on and we would want to deepen our relationship in God. That was his prayer for the Ephesians. And that, in a sense, is his prayer for us as well. Is that actually a prayer that we can really develop a true relationship in knowledge. Not a head knowledge, but a true heartfelt relationship with God that will endure forever. Now, children, we've come to the end of my talk. So hopefully you've all got the letters. I'll come to the younger children down here. So if you, if you read those out from the top, what, what words have you got there? What word is that first? Eyes. Eyes. Right. What's the next one? Yes? Heart. So we've got eyes, we've got heart. Has anyone got the next word? They are in order on, on the sheet. Can anyone guess what the phrase is? We've got eyes and we've got heart. Shall I put you out of your misery? The eyes of your heart. That's what you're looking for. And that, and that is really, if, if you like, let, 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 let's, let's, let's remember that phrase from today. This prayer that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which we've been called.